You are listening to sermon audio from College Creek Church in Annapolis, Maryland. For more information on this local body of believers, visit us online at collegecreekchurch.org or in person every Sunday at 11 a.m. Perhaps you've um, heard of Stephen Covey's exceptional little book, The The Seven Habits of of Highly Effective People. I can't even get the title out. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Maybe you've heard of it. You've probably only heard of it because from what I can tell, most people aren't highly effective enough to have actually read it. Um, But we've heard of it. And we've maybe looked at the table of contents and it seems like a really compelling idea that there would be seven things that could help us become highly effective but that it normally sits on our nightstand for the rest of our days until eventually it goes off to the goodwill or somewhere like that. But perhaps you've heard this one quote. I think it's the most famous quote in in the book. Um, It's not one of the seven habits, but Covey says this. He says, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And it's in this conversation that he's having about priorities, he's pointing out the biggest problem that many of us have to solve is that we allow so many things to come into our lives that we're not able to properly or adequately pursue the things that are most important. And so he says, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And so in his explanation of this, he goes on um, to say, you have to decide what your highest priorities are and then have the courage pleasantly and smilingly, non-apologetically to say no to other things. And the way that you do that is by having a bigger yes burning inside. He says, the enemy of the best is often the good. And my guess is that for many of us, we don't have to think very hard to come up with examples of that in our own lives. And so Covey would encourage us to keep the main thing the main thing. And certainly Covey has made that a a memorable idea, but it's actually the very thing that we're going to see um, in our passage this morning. Paul seems to be saying that very thing to Titus in this little letter that we've been looking at for the last several weeks. It seems to be that, that Paul is encouraging Titus and the church at Crete to keep the main thing the main thing. And he's been very clear to say what that is. The main thing to Paul is truth and godliness. Or we might say truth that leads to godliness or truth that results in godliness. Perhaps even more clearly, we might say the main thing is the gospel. Gospel truth and gospel living, that's the main thing. And frankly, all of scripture tells us the same thing. It's Jesus's central critique of the religious leaders of his day, right? What have they done wrong? Well, the problem is that they have repeatedly made inconsequential things into the most important thing. And then along the way, they have completely abandoned the gospel. And so Paul has been saying repeatedly throughout this this letter, but in our passage this morning, perhaps he's going to make this the most clear. We come this morning to the end of the book of Titus where Paul's summing up his entire argument that he's been presenting throughout this little letter. And here in the final verses, he's gonna drive home this point to keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is the gospel. And so let me read for us our passage from Titus this morning. We're gonna be looking at Titus chapter three, um, verses eight to 15. 
So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and, and turn there. You'll find it if you picked up one of these on your way in on page 1100. Um, and, and friends, please, if you don't have a Bible of your own at home, feel free to take one of those with you. We would love to be the, the reason that you have God's word in, in your house. Well, let me read for us Titus chapter three, verses eight to 15. It says this, the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels over the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless." As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Or as Paul says here, I want, to, I want you to insist on these things. What are they to insist on? The, the things, these things that are referenced here is the truths of the gospel that have been presented in verses three to seven. Titus is instructed to insist that people believe the gospel. That gospel that if you were to read verses three to seven, like we did last week, that gospel that reminds us that all of us are sinners, that all of us were once dead in our sin with no hope in ourselves to get out. We were full of sinfulness, but God was at work. And even in the midst of our sins, God, because of his loving kindness to us, brought salvation to us. Jesus, our savior, came to earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life that we could never live. And then he died sacrificially in our place, taking our sins upon himself. And three days later, he rose victoriously, from the grave. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered the powers of evil. And now anybody who would repent and believe in Jesus will be saved. That victory will become theirs. It will be shared with them. They'll be forgiven, set free from their bondage to sin, made alive again through the power of the Holy Spirit. So now all who have trusted in Christ have the glorious hope of eternal life ahead of us. That's the main thing. That's the thing that Titus is to insist on. It's our only hope and therefore we need to be reminded of it every day. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the main thing and the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And so he says in verse eight, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things. Why? Why insist on the truth of the gospel? Well, he tells us right away, he says, insist on these things so that those who have believed in God will be careful to devote themselves to good works. 
We insist on the gospel so that we will be devoted to good works. We insist on the gospel because the gospel sets us free to love and to serve other people. Right, Because if the gospel is true, if it's true, when the gospel says that I've been forgiven, then I've been set free, that I can forgive other people as well. If it's true, when the gospel says that I've been filled up with the Holy Spirit, then I don't have to rely on my own wisdom or my own strength any longer. Right, If the gospel is true, that I have a sure hope in heaven, then I can give this life away. I can lose everything. And I have lost nothing if the gospel is true. And so the gospel will result in good works in my life. And so why do I want to be devoted to good works? Well, he tells us that as well in the rest of this verse. He says, because good works are excellent and profitable for people. Another way he says it in in verse 14, he says, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. We should be devoted to good works because they are excellent and they are profitable for people and they help us not be unfruitful. That's actually the the central comparison in this passage. Perhaps the most important thing to see in this passage is verses eight and nine in the contrast or the comparison that is made there between good works and foolishness. He says to be devoted to good works because they are excellent and profitable. And then he contrasts that with foolish controversies, which he calls unprofitable and worthless. You see that in verse nine? He says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless, right? The gospel leads to good works, which are profitable and bear fruit in our lives, but foolish controversies are worthless. And according to verse 10, they lead us ultimately to division and condemnation. Have you ever wondered why there are so many different types of churches Well, at least one of the reasons is because we have allowed foolish controversies to divide us. We have allowed worthless disagreements to split our fellowship with one another. Now, now obviously, we're not supposed to avoid um, all controversy, but, but we are to avoid foolish controversies. According to the text, Foolish controversies, right? What's the difference between a controversy and a foolish controversy? Well, it's actually pretty simple. Here's how the text would tell us. We insist on the gospel, right? So controversy about the gospel is worth it. But controversy about anything else is not. Controversy about the gospel. So let me make that more clear. If someone is preaching to you that you really aren't that bad and you can get into heaven if you'll just try harder and do better, they have abandoned the gospel. If someone is is teaching you or, or being told to you that Jesus isn't enough for salvation, that you need to do some other things in order to be saved, they have abandoned the gospel. If someone were to teach to you that everybody gets into heaven regardless because God just loves everybody and you don't have to trust in Jesus, you just get there. They have abandoned the gospel. If they deny Jesus's sinless life, his sacrificial death or his victorious resurrection, those things are worth fighting for. But what I have found 
is that the arguments people wanna have these days aren't over the gospel. They're over things that frankly, the Bible just simply isn't clear about. They're over things that you could spend your entire life studying and debating and never know that you're right. Never really know what the Bible says. They're over things like, how many days did it take for God to create the world? Or, or how long is it gonna be until Jesus comes again? Right? People wanna, wanna spend their time arguing about whether we have to be fully immersed in the water for your baptism to count over whether aliens exist or not, over whether your dog gets into heaven. Let me just tell you, none of that ultimately matters. It's not the gospel. Don't get caught up in foolish controversies that keep you from focusing on the gospel. Keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Pastor Tim Chester says, we agree on the kindness of God and the renewal of the spirit and the grace of the son and the hope of eternal life. And those things are excellent and profitable, but we put our energy into controversies and arguments and quarrels, even though Paul says such things are unprofitable and useless. In other words, they are a waste of time and energy. Friends, keep the main thing the main thing, the gospel is the main thing. And you may love those debates. You may love those debates and controversies and arguments. Let me tell you who loves them even more, Satan. Satan loves it when we argue, especially when we argue over things that don't matter. He loves it, not just because we might be getting mad at each other, but actually he really loves it because we're wasting time because we've gotten together with a bunch of people who already believe in Jesus to argue about something that doesn't matter while a world of people are going to hell. He says, keep the gospel central. Reach people with the good news of Jesus and stop arguing about foolishness and wasting your time with fruitless bickering. You see, when, when we spend our time there, Satan doesn't have to worry about us letting the gospel take root in our own lives and bear fruit in our lives, to bear fruit that's profitable for the kingdom. And it's infiltrated our churches at so many levels. Think about, think about Bible studies that you've been in. Let me tell you what Bible studies should be about. They should be about two things. Bible study should be about two things ultimately. They should help you understand the gospel more rightly and they should help you apply the gospel more fully. That's what they should be about. But how often do we get together with a group of people who just wanna learn about things that only God knows? Meanwhile, scripture tells us already not to do that. <laughs> Consider this verse, Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says that the secret things belong to the Lord, our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of the law. There are some things that only God will know. The secret things belong to the Lord. That's frankly good news because it means I don't have to worry about it. 
The secret things belong to the Lord. But here, the second part of that verse too, the purpose of the revealed things is that I would do the words of the law. The truths that I can know, the truths that have been revealed will help me live a life of godliness. And so if you're studying to come up with truths that you can know, but those truths don't lead you to godliness, they're not truths that are for you. The truths that have been revealed will help you to live a life of godliness. That's why we have bridge groups, right? That's what bridge groups are trying to do. Maybe you've heard your leaders say something like this. The goal of bridge groups is not to exchange knowledge, but to discover God's truth, to hear his direction, and to establish accountability around obeying what he reveals. In other words, the goal of bridge groups is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is the gospel. The goal of bridge groups is that we would begin to live lives of truth and godliness. The mark of you growing as a Christian is not that you know more than other people, but that you love more. Because as 1 Corinthians 13 will tell us, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. It builds up. So let's let's not forget either that the people in the day of Jesus that, that he was most likely to condemn were the people who knew all the things and he condemned them for their lack of love. And so Paul gives this whole list here of things to avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law. We don't know exactly what he means about each and every one of those things. There's some context to what's going on in Crete that we're just not aware of, but it seems that at least probably part of what he might mean of these things that cause divisions among God people. It's highly possible that Paul had in mind the comparison and the competitiveness that Christians and ministers and churches often have with one another. Paul wants to be clear that we, we're not in the comparison game. We're not in comparison with each other in the kingdom of God. Rather, we're all on the same team we'll only see that truth when we're keeping the main thing, the main thing. As soon as we begin to think that the purpose of our church is to be the biggest in town, we failed. Right, we, we have a vision, College Creek Church, we have a vision and it's to see the College Creek Corridor renewed by the gospel. And if in the course of that happening, this church grows, then praise the Lord. And if in the course of that happening, this church dies, praise the Lord. Our mission is not the advancement of College Creek Church. It's the advancement of the kingdom of God. And that's why we do things every week, like pray for other churches in our city. We want good things to happen to other churches because we want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to see lives renewed by the power of the gospel. And Paul knew this. Paul knew about the comparative and competitive impulse in the church, and he would have no part of it. We actually see it kind of amazingly right here in in our passage. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way, see that they lack nothing. Okay, who are, those, who are those two men? Well, it's probably the very people who are carrying this letter from Paul. And we don't know much about 
Zenos, the lawyer, but we do know something about Apollos. According to Acts 18, Apollos was eloquent. He was competent in the scriptures. He was fervent in the spirit. But, but not only that, there was a contingent of people specifically in the church at Corinth who preferred Apollos to Paul and they told him about it. They didn't just like him better, but they told him about it. And there arose a division in the church over who was going to follow Apollos and who was going to follow Paul. And Paul would have none of it. And it seems like Apollos would have none of it either. So not only does he condemn that sort of competitiveness when he writes his letter to the church at Corinth, but he then continues to partner with Apollos. He partners together in ministry. We see it right here in Titus, encouraging people to give generously so that Apollos would lack nothing in his work of ministry. Give Apollos everything he needs so that he can keep making the gospel the main thing. Titus is to insist on the gospel that leads to good works. He's to avoid foolish controversies that lead us nowhere. And he's to warn and remove the person who stirs up division. Do you see that there in verse 10? As for the person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. And I'd love, I actually love the simplicity of Paul's instructions here. We aren't supposed to make a big deal or spend too much time arguing with this divisive person. We warn and then we warn again and then we move on. And we move on and we have nothing more to do with them. Why? Because the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is the gospel. So don't spend your time trying to argue with a person who wants to stir up division in your church. Rather warn them, pray for them, warn them again, and then get on with it and make the gospel known. The gospel is the main thing. And as we learn it more and more, it will result in a life of good works. It'll result in a life of of mission. It'll result in in a life of evangelism. You know, I once heard a story about a a church here in the United States that had a partner church in South America. And the church in in the United States would send teams down on these mission trips to South America and they would lead VBSs for them and they would provide Bible classes for them. And as they did, they built this really beautiful relationship with one another. And so one day the church here in the States asked this church in South America if they would send some of their people up so that their people could train the church in the States. And here's what they said. They said, we're really good at discipleship, but our people just aren't good at sharing their faith. And the pastor of this church in South America, he couldn't even understand what they meant. And finally, he responded by simply saying, If your people don't know how to share the gospel, then you aren't good at discipleship. I mean, isn't that the truth? What could be more foundational to our discipleship than understanding how to share the gospel? 
The mature Christian isn't the one who knows everything about everything in the Bible. It's the one who willingly obeys the call, the commands of Christ. And we aren't commanded to be disciples. We aren't commanded to be disciples. We either are or we aren't. We're commanded to make disciples. We're commanded to share the gospel with those who need salvation. And the mature Christian is the one who's able to say, I don't know everything, but I love you enough that I'm not gonna let you walk away without hearing what Jesus has done for you. And so look how Paul ends this whole passage out in verse 14. He says, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Look at just the kindness of this command here. We aren't commanded to be devoted. We're commanded to learn to be devoted, to learn to help, to learn to be fruitful. And not only that, we don't see it here in the English, but that word learn, it's actually a progressive word. It it indicates that we're to continually learn this more and more and more. In other words, we are in a process of growth and learning to do all sorts of good. We're in a process of learning the gospel more rightly so that we can apply it more fully. The gospel is the main thing. And as we keep the main thing, the main thing, we will be transformed by it. And we'll begin to live lives that are gripped by the truth and brimming with godliness. May may God help us to do that. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. As we think about the, the, the call and the command to go and make disciples, Lord, we need your help as we think about the instruction of of determining what what is gospel and what is foolishness, Lord, we need your wisdom. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be more given over to the gospel today and every day. That we would be more led by your wisdom today and every day. And Lord, that you would work in power in our lives and through our lives, that people would come to know you. In Christ's name, amen.